Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. In this episode of Every Step, we are joined by Gary Bennett. Gary is a highly experienced chair and chief executive who over the past 39 years has established, led, built, grown, rebuilt and strengthened financial services, insurance, pension and health companies in 12 countries. We discuss moving countries for your dream job. Welcome, Gary. It's fantastic to have you join us here today. And you're certainly, most certainly the right person for us to be exploring the topic of moving internationally for your dream job. As a very senior executive, you've moved a lot in your career. I'm going to read this list because I don't want to leave any of the countries out. You started out in Australia, you went to Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea, India, Taiwan, China, USA, and you're now based between Mexico, Bali, South Africa, and London. Is that right? So I you've, in London. Yeah, yeah. you've been yeah. everywhere, man. I mean, for for our listeners, moving this much would be absolutely unthinkable. Mm. How has how's the journey been for you and your family? How's it been? Look, if if I said um, fantastic, and and I do, um, you know, I I do uh, sort of preempt this conversation with that fact that I am. Uh, about as Australian as you'll get, as Aussie by birth, um, global by choice, and this was something that I chose to do, and, and you know, bl- blessed with fate. Um, and, and there are a million stories. In actual fact, at some stage in the future, there is a book called Nice Guys Don't Come Last that's coming, um, followed by the second book called The Third Innings. But look, it's it's been an incredible journey. Like it's been, an, uh, you know, I, some days I look in the mirror and pinch myself about where we've been, what we've done, but I I was deliberate in a number of things and at the same time um, open to learning along the journey about what I felt made a difference for us. And, and, you know, I say this as Judith knows my wife pretty well. Um, I've been incredibly fortunate to have a partner um, in, in every sense of the word, that was both a life partner, um, a business partner, um, who, who got who got this and was prepared to sacrifice certain things in her career um, to support me. Now, I, I, I say that there were some things at the very beginning that I had to step over before she'd do what we have done for the last goodness thirty years. And I, and I, you know, if, if I can share this, and this is a great story to start with. I, we'd just, we'd been together for some years and we bought a new home in Caulfield and we were completely rebuilding a house from the ground up. And, and I was approached, <clears throat> excuse me, I was approached about an opportunity, um, first in Kuala Lumpur, which I rejected because it just wasn't the right fit for the family. Um, but then another opportunity to go to Singapore and, and Jill was, working in the insurance industry she was trainer compliance sales management you know a great career making good money and um you know i said i've had this opportunity i did a couple of interviews i from memory it was a, a guy at corn ferry in sydney um and um she said yeah gary we'll go but the deal has to be to a point where it's financially attractive enough 
to me to give up my job and to then concentrate on the other things that we'll do with our life. And that concentration on other things has been everything from managing a significant property portfolio, the ability to move, the ability to have our, our daughter in great schools internationally in different countries. So I said, okay, if the, if the deal works out better than our combined income, you'll go. She said, yes, it will. Now, I remember sitting in this new home in Caulfield and thinking, goodness, you know, the, the contracts come. And a, a lovely guy called Alan Beanland, who was the chairman of International for the old commercial, uh, sorry, uh, Colonial Mutual Group, said, I've sent it, Gary. The courier should have been, you should have had it by now. And he was ringing me, have you signed the contract? And I said, I don't know where it is. Now, we had in this new house two front doors and the courier had slid the contract under the other front door. Oh, no. We were, like, we were both sitting in, in, in a room like this thinking, where is it? Anyhow, I opened it and we were both sitting there as, as we, we've done with our lives going through things. And I went through it all and with, with the tax change with Singapore, with some housing allowance and a few other things, I said, Jill, it's six bucks a week more than our combined income is today. <laughs> I said, okay, that's so that's that that was the deal. So that's and again, that was the start of an incredible journey. And you know, I, I say this because I've watched lots of people come into international roles, and I'll use that term international roles, you know, businesses where you are working in strange, foreign, challenging cultures, where they haven't either thought through that relationship or that partnership. Or they haven't been as lucky as I have. And, and Jill has a wonderful saying, Gary, you're a lucky, lucky man. And maybe that's part of it. Um, but I think that that it, it's a it's a partnership when you when you do these things. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a job. Um, if if it was, then it would be far easier than what it's been. Because as as you've asked, um, you know, we we had a daughter who was born in Singapore almost 26 years ago when we lived in Singapore. Uh, she's been educated in, you know, in six different countries. Uh, she speaks right. Spanish um, back in Australia. But again, the sort of person who can walk into a room now and is comfortable anywhere and doesn't see um, culture or colour or religion or any of those things because she's grown up in an environment where she was exposed. I won't say given. She was exposed to that. She could have been, you know, not accepting of it, but that's been great. And I say, Jill who has done incredible things, like as in a partnership, the things that, that Jill has done, like in the amount of houses that she loves to build, she likes to do projects, you know, the, we had a significant property portfolio internationally at one stage, still do. Like we have been you know, a villa in Bali, which require, you know, full-time people to look after it, you know, managing that remotely and, you know, paying bills and moving stuff and, all those things. She she does a great a great and significant job. So it's it's a it's a partnership. It's a deal, and it's a lifestyle, not just um, not just the job. I think you've picked on something that's really really important. I think a lot of people when they move jobs, they think of it just as a career and just as a career move for the principal person that has been yeah. offered the opportunity. But I'm not sure that. People miss. I mean, they kind of go, yeah, I've got to do private schools and I've got to figure out where the kids are going to go and where we're going to live and all of those sorts of things. But often the stories that I hear from people that have worked internationally is that the partner feels very isolated. They don't, yeah. they don't have a work visa often. They're not allowed to work for whatever reason. And they feel very, very isolated and very, very homesick. Yes. How yeah, did you avoid that? 
Look, I, I, I think that we're, and again, it was lucky. Um, my wife is an angel and maybe I was just blessed with with an angel um, because she is adaptable. You know, she, she's a you know former senior executive from financial services. She knows how to walk and work a room. Um, she's, you know, she's never been frightened to do things on her own. And I think that that probably gave me um, the opportunity and, and, and perhaps coming from similar industries, she knew what I needed to do. And often she would say to me, like I know, you know, for, for most of the roles that I filled, she would say, Gary, you go, get established, have a look around, you know, rent a service department, let's have a look at some places later on, and I'll get everything fixed up here, and I'll join you in three months or six months. Now, I can't remember anywhere where she hasn't done that. Now, that meant automatically she was going into, if you like, her job role, and I was going into my job role. And, we, and as partners, we had we had a deal that she did those things. And then I went off, as I do, and completely you know, engrossed, embedded myself in a business because there's a lot you've got to do in those first six months to really make it work. So I think I was lucky, but we always had these conversations beforehand. And there are some great stories, um, even the more recent one where you know, I'd, I'd say to her, and I would always, this wasn't, this wasn't a decision that I, that I made on my own. I may have thought that I wanted to make it on my own, but I always had to have the conversation. And, and every time this, you know, say so back to the six bucks a week extra, right through to, and I can tell you what, one of the moves when we'd moved back to Hong Kong, um, we'd been six months in this tremendous apartment in Kennedy Road. I turned a business around in six months that was absolutely annihilated. And then I got a phone call from, from head office saying, we just can't find anybody for India. And, um, you know, I, I said to, to, to Jill, you know, we sat down and we talked it through. And she said, Gary, I've just unpacked the last box, but we've still got the boxes. So let's pack up and go. Um, you know, Mexico was a great story because I'd, I'd um, completed the transition of all of the New York life businesses in Asia and we'd basically moved back to Hong Kong and I was setting up North Star Consulting. I was going to do all this, you know, work out of Asia. And um, I got a phone call from my for the former president, at, not the CEO, but the president at New York life who knew me really well, who'd said to me some months before, I wish I had someone like you in the business. And I said, you did, but you paid me out rang me and he said, Gary, we've got another issue. We need a chief executive in, in Mexico. And I know Jill was behind a glass brick wall working on a computer. And I said to her, Jill, what do you think about Mexico? Chris is on the phone and he wants to know whether we can go. She said, give me a minute. And there was about 45 seconds silence. And she went, okay, let's go. <laughs> and, it's been, and it's been, I think, I don't know, maybe that sort of, you know, spirit that existed within the relationship and I'm sure that there are times when she hated me when I said you know you've just finished unpacking a box let's go again and and you know some of the places that we went were incredibly complex and difficult I can tell you that you know living in living in Japan is one of the more difficult countries to live in um, culturally it's just so different there is just such a different environment um, in everything from people to the way you are viewed to the way regulation operates for financial services businesses in Japan so those things but um so I think I think that that's you know if there was a tip for anybody 
I think you've got you've got to treat this um, like a, a, as we often say, we spend more time planning our holiday than we do planning our career. Mm. And if you can't sit and take that time and have that conversation with the people who who believe in you and love you and will support you if you are communicative and transparent and in you know involving, um, then um, you're dumb. So I think that that's important. Now that that also means that there will be times, as you quite rightly say, and, and I've seen this with some very senior positions. Like I said, really lucky that um, I've had some some great friends in, in the search business, in the headhunting business. Sometimes people will jump at the job, take it because the money's huge and the prestige is wonderful. And they'll get there and six months later, their partner will say, this is not for me. I miss my family. I miss my community. I miss my church. I miss whatever. And they will walk away from massive opportunities because they didn't put the groundwork and the foundation into having those conversations at first. And you know, one of the things that I saw, Gary, you know, you saying that is that um, I mean, you were able to negotiate the first time for a very good package. Yeah. and did your research and everything like that which given the seniority mm. of the role that you had already in you probably had learned a lot of those skills but one of the things that I uh, noticed a lot of people who had moved overseas is they under negotiated their remuneration packages so they didn't do enough research so there might be someone living in like Brisbane who then takes a job in New York and they might get $10,000 increase or 20 or whatever. Yeah. And then they get there and they go, Oh my God, I can't live in a, a shoebox for that. And I, and I used to say to um, candidates to say, you, you have got to one speak to several people, yeah. but not the ones that are living there. Now, the ones that have moved from where you're, you are, to there now so you, you don't go and speak to the Americans and ask them what it's like you speak no. to the Australians who have moved there to find out what they found because often people forget about uh the cost of living differences the transportation you know how, how much um school time it's going to take to get for the schools how the you know what kind of school can I, my kids go to that's equivalent to what they are now because when they do move their whole family out over there part of the reasons why the spouses are upset because the 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 other person didn't negotiate a good enough cost of living salary yeah. and everything and relocation they always would forget about yeah. relocation costs and they'd get some little minimal amount from hr that say oh we'll give you three thousand dollars for relocation costs and that was nothing yeah. and they really have to go and through a list and do their homework before that because the companies that they're negotiating with aren't just going to give it all to them oh. uh, you know without asking you you got to go in hard and go if it's not better than where i am why am i doing it did you play hardball look i i a couple of things yes i yes i did and i'll again another story too many stories but 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 they're hopefully they're all meaningful um the first thing as judith says what you have to be like if if you're an expert in your area of of you know expertise, leadership, employment, whatever, you'll know your job, you'll know your craft, and it's because you will have learned at university, you know, education, whatever. Um, those things you you've got to research. Like, and I, I say this one of the things that I wasn't fortunate enough to do when I was younger, and again another story, was to get to university until later on in life. So I had to research everything, 
or find someone who could help me with information about what I wanted to do. Now, there was a time, I think it was when I came out of Japan, um, goodness, that must have been 22 years ago, where a headhunter said to me, you are one of the highest paid chief, country chief executives in Asia. And I said, that's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> I said, well, it, well what, what exactly? And I, you know, I, I don't think that I should or anyone should ever be embarrassed by that. Now, I know people get frightened, but it's asking the question. Um, corny lines, and, I, and my life has been full of cliches, but they're true in the end. What's the worst that's going to happen? No, we'll give you half of what you asked for, which was more than what they offered. Um, I, I need to make sure that you can fund private school. An apartment in Manhattan is going to cost you at least 10 grand a month, at least for an average apartment in Manhattan. Um, I, you know, I remember saying, um, I don't want a car, but I'd love an allowance. Well, $1,000 a month, do you? Now, that's a lot of Ubers. Back in, you know, back back in the, the goodness, that was 10 years ago in New York or in other places. So yes, you have to research and there are lots of sites you can look on, but Judith is absolutely correct here. You've got to talk to people who've been through that process. Now, um, you know, as, as we know, some of them will be terrific and informative and understand and others will be woozers that were just happy to get a job somewhere and, and you don't want to walk, walk with that because... But Judith says, if those other things are okay, and I and I know, again, and I'm I'm telling stories that I shouldn't, but uh, my my uh, beautiful partner says to me, it's never enough, Gary. You should have asked for more, <laughs> no, no matter how good it was, because you you know you know that ultimately, um, I, I believe it's about it's about building the right sort of lifestyle. Now, if if your kids got to jump on on the you know the nine oh six school bus and spend forty five minutes. Um, you know, getting to a lousy suburb to go to a school, um, they're going to be unhappy. Um, your partner's going to be unhappy and you're going to think, geez, why do, I, I thought I was doing this to help build the family a better future and a better opportunity. So yes, but, re, but my, my, my view on everything, before I go anywhere with the people in the team, like I, you know, I'm saying this to a, to a young lady, a young Australian lady who reached out to me for some advice recently. I said, you're not using LinkedIn as well as you should. Like there are people within your um, environment and you don't know who they are. I said, if you don't get on LinkedIn and find out who they are, who, who the team is, who you're working with, who you could work for, why you should join this association or that association, um, the fairy godmother isn't going to come and tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, here's the slipper. Um, you, you've, you've got to get out there and work and find it and research and do the stuff like, um, you know, just, and, and I'm, I, tr I try to be grateful and thankful, but goodness, you, you've got to put the effort in yourself. Like I can tell you that with my background, with my lack of a university education, um, and yes, Jude, I was lucky that I started off and I had some success and we did some great things and I've nine out, well, 12 out of 13 places or more that I've been to, we got right. J Japan was my greatest challenge and greatest learning. Um, you've, you've got to research. You've got to learn. You've got to understand. You've got to understand who you're working with. You know, I'm, I'm also a great believer in not being the emperor-style leader who sacks everybody when you go into a business and you bring all of your court with you because I have a different view about the way my responsibility as an international leader is and, and 
and I'll say this if I can, I, I've always had this strong view from the very beginning. And I think it was working for those private equity guys in the first place that taught me this. You get in, you strengthen the team, you build a strategy, you deliver on the results and you get out of the way. And particularly in, in international roles, Jill would say to me, Gary, you get to the three-year stage and you give it away. And I would say, that is my strategy. Mm -hmm. I get in, I build the team and make sure it's strong and, and that I try in every sense of the word to use the existing team because they were there yesterday, I wasn't. So they must have some skills, ability and expertise that have got us to this point. Yep, we'll tighten the strategy and make sure that it's the growth orientated, that we focus on building a business, managing expenses, positioning ourselves in the marketplace, um, get some real wins on the board and find a local successor. Now, if that means that I'm fortunate enough to stay on the board or if as you know, some of my employers have seen that it was wise to keep me on the board as an advisor or as you know, the security guard, if you like, to oversee, to make sure that things stayed the way they were, great. But my belief was that I had um, a specific job to do in a specific period. And even if that meant that at the end of three or four years, I didn't know what I was going to do next, um, I'd built enough credibility by saying, this is the way I work. And I was never frightened to say that to, to people. And, you know, some terrific stories about, you know, six of those roles were where the chairman of fantastic organisations would ring me and say, Gary, we need somebody to go into India, China, Vietnam, whatever, to do this for us. And we've told the local partner or we've told the investors that you're the guy that can do this. Now, to me, goodness, that was the compliment of my life. Um, and then you give it away and then you go and do it again. So you've done an awful lot right and you alluded to maybe a learning, something that didn't quite go as well as you'd planned and yeah. that was Japan. Yeah. What yeah. happened? What did what did you misread? What are the lessons? What what did you go in thinking and then I, what I don't was it think, that didn't yeah, no, go the way you wanted it to? It, it's a great question because I, th I think that there was one, a level of conservatism within um, within that business. It was a bankrupt Japanese business that was in trouble and was taken over by an international, taken over by Prudential UK. And we wanted to put the Prudential model in rapidly. Um, and there was, yes, significant pushback in a number of areas. And I didn't, like, one of the lessons that I've learned over the years is that you've got to really understand and embed yourself in the culture in some way. Now, you know, I'll, I'll use the Australian example. Um, and, I, and I remember saying this when I moved to Melbourne with the GIO 100 years ago. Um, I got a sponsorship with Richmond Football Club. We got signage on the ground. And I went to the footy and the president's man's lunch every Saturday and Sunday at the MCG with Richmond Football Club. So all of a sudden, I was almost becoming a Victorian even though I was a Sydney sider. Um, and what I've, what I've tried to do is to find something in every country or every market where I was genuinely interested and involved. Um, like in, in, in Hong Kong, Feng Shui in, in India, food and religion and um, 
you know, in, in, in China, just the simple fact that it was such a dynamic economy and you could embed yourself in those sorts of things. In Japan, I don't think, I think I was probably desperate to get things happening too quickly to prove a point at the beginning. And I didn't, what I couldn't find, and this was, maybe this was why it's challenging. I couldn't find the thing in Japan to fall in love with. And that's that's tough because everywhere else that I've been, there were things that I fell in love with, and it, it's become part of you know Gary Bennett. It's part of it's part of me. Like if if you and, and and you can't, but if you look around this room, there are things that there are artwork from twenty countries. There are memorabilia, statues, gifts, um, all sorts of things from everywhere. Um, stories like the the fact that you know that I still do my feng shui calendar every year at this time of year ahead of Chinese New Year. The fact that um, I have a dear friend in Hong Kong who sends me my good luck charm every year to wear, you know, the fact that I can and go back to India and sit, um, you know, and, and the Indians are sort of um, overwhelmed that I can sit in an Indian restaurant and order a dessert that they've never heard of. Um, and, and because you love it. So ingratiating yourself with those things. Japan was was tough one because I don't think I took enough time um, and I don't think I gave the full story and the full story was and I think that this was part of the problem the business had insight my successor was an American and I think that that was wrong um, in hindsight now that guy's got terrific stuff like he went on and ran some of the biggest life insurance companies in the region like he was you know a goodness, all-American, ex-Pittsburgh still a linebacker. I'd lived in Japan for years before me, um, you know, all, all, all the good stuff. But he was an American. And I think the thing that held me always in good stead was when I was clear about what we were doing at the beginning. Like, you know, corny, the cliche again, if you start with the end in mind, what we're going to do is, yes, I'm here, but I'm not here for 100 years. Um, I'm going to help us strengthen the leadership team here and make sure that we're all okay. And if that meant you know, sending people off to Wharton or Harvard or whatever to make sure that they really had the skills to do that, um, ensuring that we had the strategy. And if that meant, as it did in a number of markets, that we spent an inordinate amount of time with the team building the strategy. And I'm a great believer that, that ownership creates development, leadership and success. Um, and that other piece is saying, I'm going to get out of here at some stage. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to leave the country. That doesn't mean I'm not going to live in, in Hong Kong or China or India or Mexico, or whatever. Um, but I'm going to get out of the business's way because I think ultimately my job is to find a successor who is the strongest possible local I can find. Now, um, I don't think I did that well enough in Japan. And I, yeah, I can was... I ask you a quick question? Sorry to interrupt, but did you you had an interpreter, didn't you? I mean, you didn't speak the language. To, so to that inter... would have made it even more difficult. Yeah, it, it, it was um, because I think that I think that one of the things with culture in and, and I don't I don't want to be mean with Japan. I'm I still love it and and um, what, what my chief of staff I was actually communicating with on Facebook today. He's just retired from MetLife recently. Um, but yeah, the the fact of the matter is that well that you could be and I, I'm I've always seen myself. Like I think that the, the the similarity between a Sydney sider and a New Yorker is you're direct. Um, you don't mince words. You tell it the way it is. I'm completely transparent, and 
Japanese aren't. Um, and that, that you've got to be really careful about. And I was told after I left, Gary, you know that only 70% of what you actually said, even with two translators, was actually ever fully communicated to the people and the team. Yeah. Now, I know a lot, of, a lot of people in Japan spoke English, but unlike India and other places where there was a good amount of English, um, distribution didn't regulate it, didn't, um, and a lot of what you said, even if you were straight, just didn't get to the point. So, so yeah. that, does that mean the translator was kind of had your back a bit? Sort of like, oh, I better not say yeah, it that way, yeah. otherwise we're going to have a problem. Yeah, <laughs> well, at, at, at least thinking they had my back a little bit. Like, and I, I remember trying to to advise um, uh, somebody when we were doing business in in Taiwan not to be so abrupt or New Yorkish with a regulator because they would just simply show you the door, which they did because he didn't take my advice. But yeah, um, they, they sort of thought they had your back, which they probably did. But there are times when you have to be, you know, um, yeah, yeah. What's the the definition? Like iron, iron glove, silk hand, or oh, soft yeah. hand. Yeah. Um, and to 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 the point, and in particularly with things like you know, there were there was some issues that I still remember really well. Like the business, the actuaries in the business wanted to put in ten years capital in advance. Now that's fine, um, but it doesn't work that way in our businesses. Like, like what we do is, and, and you know, and as need, you know, capital on time, a bit like retailers did with stock. Um, I don't need a hundred million dollars up front. I need ten to get through the next eighteen months, and I need to know that I've got access to capital as I continue to grow the business. That's part of the strategy. Um, in Japan, that was really yeah. Yeah. yeah, because now we want all of your money up front. You guys are foreigners. You've taken over a bankrupt com company. You should put in ten years capital up front. Well, so it was. It became business issues, and it became, as I say, I, I I've been back to Japan since. It is a beautiful country to visit as a tourist. Um, as a hey, tourist. just it's quickly with country. that team that you had, did you have? Were they all Japanese, or were there were there expats in no. that team? There were expats. That, that was, yeah, there were expats. And I think that that was probably one of the mistakes as well, Judith, as I think it's true. There's some great expats, like guys who went on and are now, like, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate. There's nearly 20 people who worked with me over the years who are now CEOs in financial services and life insurance business. Now, two of those guys, one, one went on to run Zurich regionally um, out of the Middle East, and the other guy is running a big business for somebody in Vietnam, both expatriates. Um, and 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 the the potential CEO Tom, who was the linebacker, um, uh, expatriates, um, and and that wasn't in hindsight the right thing to do. That's why. And, and I remember uh, after that, um, a number of other markets where all, except for the occasional space person who would drop in for training or education or compliance or risk management or audit or whatever. Um, on, a, on a four or five day assignment, everybody else in the leadership team were local. And, and I, you know, I, I remember India, um, which was a big business. India teaches you how to manage volume and, and individuals who challenge every breath that you take. Um, saying to me, well, why aren't you chucking us all out and replacing um, us with your own people? I said, because you are my people. Um, you will, you know, we, we'll build this together, and um, and we did. And I think that that was a great um, 
a valuable lesson for me anyway. For others, it may, it may not be. And I know lots of organizations say, no, I've got to have my head of risk or I've got to have my actuarial head or I've got to have my CFO. Now, in, in lots of the business that I've been involved with, there was a joint venture arrangement, chairman to be one from one side, the CEO would be from the other. But my, my view has always been, um, we, build, we build local and the deal is my my expectation on me is to build that leadership team so it's strong enough to do exactly what it needs to do and more than that. And I say um, the proudest moments of my life is when I get a message from someone who says, I've just been appointed the CEO of, you know, Bahati Axa in, in India or the CEO of Alliance in Vietnam or um, you know, some I, I I love that. Like, if you know, seriously, I should have been a headhunter. I would have. You, you would know, have been a good headhunter, Gary. You would have been good. But would you be advise? Would you advise people who want to work overseas, uh, in, or different countries? I mean, is it you, you know, like it's not a long term thing for them? So, in other words, go to a country, experience, and go to another one, then go to another one. Is because um, like do they have to go there and really? decide okay this is long term or is it is it considered a short term stint or is it yeah. look I I think that there are two two ways to look at this I remember one of the first guys I ever met in Hong Kong was a guy who ran a big pension business in Hong Kong and he'd been there 22 years and I met him after I'd been there two months and I remember saying Anthony what are you 22 years he said Gary don't worry you'll fall in love with this eventually now I think it's each their own this is a this is a difficult perspective to add because for me I adopted a view that it was my job to transfer skills expertise leadership and opportunity to others and then to get out of their way which meant that I then had to back myself into the next stage now I've been at times critical of the long-term expatriate because I think what happens and this is where you've got to be really comfortable um, the first guy I took over from in Asia uh, went to the Hong Kong club for lunch every day. He played golf twice a week. Um, he was You would never see him in the office after four o'clock in the afternoon and he lost his job and so he should have. Um, oh, because, what a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. So I, I, I think that, I think that you know, it's a, a bit like horses for courses. Yes, there will be some people who will stay a long period of time. But I think that in every sense of the word, Judith, there are use-by dates for all um, executives. I do believe that there becomes, and I, I remember Bill Jocelyn, who was the first group chief executive I worked for at the GIO 100 years ago, who gave me a, a, a real break you know, as, as a sales manager to move into more general management. Um, you know, this, this, I remember he said, and I, I don't know whether I was in a group or others, he said, I've been here seven years now, Gary, I've run out of ideas. Now, that's probably a tough thing to say, but it's the truth. Um, yes, it's the truth. Like, you can't continue to reinvent all the time. Yes, you can have an incredibly impressive team of people. And, you know, ladies, there are some executives in Australia where I've had my shares at different times who are well past their use-by date, well past their use-by date. Um, and it's not, it's not age. Um, it's, it's what you bring to an organisation that makes a difference. So 
I think that if you can put that at the top of your mind, and I say for me, you know, as, as tough as it's been some days when, you know, I'd walk, I, I, just having these conversations with chairman and shareholders and saying, I think it's time for us now to start to move someone in. Now, I did a couple of things. It meant that there was an opportunity to properly develop and put in place the next leadership um, to ensure that the strategy that we'd put in place that was signed off by shareholders and stuff had taken it. So, you know, I, I think it's horses for courses, but for me, this has been, this has been my strategy. Although, as I say, a decade ago, I built North Star Consulting knowing that there would come a time when I couldn't do another three or four year stint. Not that I think I'm too old for it, but I think you get to a point where you need to say, okay, what is my third innings? What do I build next? And that's where I've built this business where I am on a number of corporate boards, where I get involved with a number of advisory roles, where I'm an investor in a number of startups, where I can use the network, which is incredibly important. And this is, you know, back to my comments about LinkedIn. If people aren't using some form of network and using it, adding value to it, making it work for them, um, they're missing the world's greatest opportunity. And, and you know, you, you know that, that one day Lauren woke up, my daughter, and said, Dad, now I get it. Now I understand the value of a network. And, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, that was a, that was a um, often a concern of mm. sort of the ones in the younger age groups where their companies would go. I want you to go over to Singapore. I want you to go over to Hong Kong for a year or two to do this particular thing. And so they were kind of at the beginning of their career. And they'd, they'd often say to me, well, should I do it? Because I don't really want to see myself over there long term. And again, yeah. I would say to, I said, I would say to them, well, you need to be clear about what your exit and your entry back into the country is. And are you going to be coming back and there and it's con and it's in writing. It's not a verbal promise because yeah. half yeah. the people that you're talking to now will probably be gone in two years time. So you need it in writing about what your entry level point is. The other concern yeah. was I'm going over there in an area to start something that we've been already been doing for the last five years. So when I come back, am I going to be behind the eight ball because the people here are going to be ahead? So are they going to see me as someone who's lost their knowledge? Yep. And I think the fact that because we are more virtual these days, that actually will go to the benefit of those people thinking that because they can keep up to date and bring things in more globally than we could have before. So there's so many different things to consider. Now we're getting to the end of our time. So I want to um, yeah. ask each you guys a question and just thinking about everything that we've already spoke about today and just maybe summarizing, if you were giving advice to someone who's looking to um, uh, looking at a, an opportunity overseas, what would you say to someone who's never done that before? I'll start with you, Gary, one minute. One minute, um, absolutely. Um, but, but, to your but to your point, Judith, if you see this as a learning experiential thing, stay in touch virtually, um, join a working group back in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, be involved in some other project management thing, stay connected and get it in writing if you wanna go back. If not, get on this wonderful journey and and take the risk because it's sensational fantastic christina 
yeah, I've lived overseas and worked overseas and and so has my husband and and it's been the most fantastic experience ever. I've loved, loved, loved it. So like you, I've lived in Mexico. I've lived there. I lived there for a year. So um, do it. It broadens your perspective. Um, business is global. And I think what really um, was wonderful for us is that living in another country helped us to understand the customers in that region and to really understand the customers and what the customers needed. And it's not something that you can do from thousands of miles away. So go there, immerse yourself, live, breathe, eat, smell, everything yeah. that that country has to offer. And yeah, it's it's going to be the best decision you'll ever make, but do it with intention as um, yeah. Judith yeah. and... Um, Gary have advised be intentional Absolutely. about it be intentional absolutely and I think I would add to that that you know a lot of times um, you know the research one you have to do your research speak to people who have been there done that um, I would be very surprised if there's not some kind of Facebook page on international relocation question answers that kind of look for those kind of groups where you yep. can ask people who have, who have done that um, culturally uh, that's a big issue. Some and and a lot of people are scared. Well, I don't know what to do. I'm going over to uh, Dubai, and I don't know culturally what I should do. And you know, my my answer to that, you know what? Ask your boss. What should I, I be aware of? What what are the what are the traditions? Ask people that you know that have done it before, like we said. But don't be afraid to speak up. And yeah. and also everything in writing, as I've always said, yeah. <laughs> and all in writing. No. Because it's not like when you get over there, you can then turn around and say, oh, I thought that um, no. I was going to trend. I didn't realize transportation was so expensive. So you do it all up front yeah. and uh, we could, there's so many more things, but mm -hmm. I think research is probably the most important. And Gary, really, really appreciate you coming on, on the show today and being part of this because it's such an important conversation. And um, we want to have you back several times <laughs> so we can talk more about this, customer service, everything else. <laughs> we have and so many topics to cover. So thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. Judith and Christina, th thank you very much. This has been um, great, great fun. And um, hopefully we can talk again in the future and, and, and best of luck with this fantastic series. Congratulations. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Bye. Hasta luego. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.